You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Monday to you. As promised on Friday, we have a special guest today, Nate Geary from WGR 550, also doing some great work over at Cover One, and he is going to join us today to help put a ribbon on our discussion about the Bills offense. We've worked through the performance review series to this point. I've unpacked everything that exists with these position groups. I've brought the big questions to the table, and now it's time for me to give those questions to Nate to add another perspective to this podcast and obviously Nate was the right choice here because we did the checkpoint at the bye week to to check in on this Bills offense so now it's time to come full circle with everything and really have a good understanding of where this offense is entering and you know a really interesting offseason where I think we all want the Bills to get better but the the resources aren't necessarily there so so Nate Thanks for joining me, and I uh, hope you have some great takes for us here on the pod today. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. And um, yeah, you know, it's uh, it is such a consequential off season, and you know, there's a lot of ways to frame it. People talking about you know what the Bills need to do to just how do you maintain, how do you stay where you are, and you know, I think you know people like you and I are are sort of bypassing that conversation altogether and saying, well, how can they get better? Um, and, and I think that's kind of what a conversation like this is, uh, is going to do today is, is try to figure out what the Bills can do to be better. Because I think ultimately staying the same doesn't serve a purpose for this franchise um, because we know Kansas City is likely not going to. Brandon Bean acknowledged that. He said in his year-end press conference, we're not a Super Bowl team. And I, th- that hit me hard. And I thought it was the right it's refreshing. thing. You have to look at it like that. And he also yeah. said, hey, you can't just go into this thing expecting everything to be true. That was true last year, true again this year. Like you have to continue yeah. like building and expanding, and your team is is different every year. It's a unique team. So, Nate, we're talking Bills offense, and so we got to start with Jordan Devy. The no, dude, that was a joke. That was a joke. That's, that was a good one. I was like, wait, wait, wait. I did not prepare. I don't have that in my notes. <laughs> you didn't have any notes on Jordan Devy. The first move they made was giving this guy a contract. All right, we're gonna talk, we're gonna start with Josh Allen, and uh, my question for you, Nate, is is has Josh Allen reached his ceiling, and if not? What areas of his game do you think yeah. he can improve this offseason? He's obviously done a good job every year of kind of picking a few things and getting better at that in the offseason, and then we've seen it apply to the football field. So uh, what do you hope he focuses on? Has he reached his ceiling? And is the truth with Josh Allen somewhere between 2019 and 2020? I'm anxious to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, you know, I – I don't think that he has reached or met his ceiling yet. And I think that's, if you're a Bills fan, if you're a fan of Josh Allen um, and you're a fan of the AFC and you want someone else, you want another team to sort of really be the team that's going to go up against the Kansas City Chiefs, then I think you got to feel pretty good about that take, right? That Josh Allen's likely not at his ceiling yet. I don't believe he's there. I believe there is still plenty enough for him to do um, to get to the level that he needs to get to. And I think the level that he needs to get to is as close to Patrick Mahomes as physically possible. And is he there yet? I don't believe so. I don't know that anyone's truly ever going to to, to reach that pinnacle. It is a mountaintop um, that very few wide, uh, really, very few people in NFL history have seen. Um, you know, I think of Joe Montana. I think of some of these great, great Hall of Fame players. And um, the talent level of Mahomes is is simply second to none. And I, and I think that's got to be the really impressive thing about what Mahomes has been able to do. And to watch Allen 
bridge the gap this year, not only in, you know, a, in a couple of ways, but I think in a number of ways. And the one thing that I think really stood out to me this year was the, you know, a lot of the technique and a lot of the mechanics that he worked on this offseason with Jordan Palmer. It showed, it showed early. He talked a lot um, with Chris Sims on his one podcast. I know that was prior to um, the AFC championship game, just talking about, you know, working on his arm angle, working on the, 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 the sequencing and the timing of the release and when he's engaging his lower body. And I think for me, the most impressive area this season from Josh Allen was that technique, that mechanic, the lower to upper body. It was all, he was using his body, and, and, and he was using his leverage for rather than against him. And, and if you go back to his film in college, a lot of times you just saw his body working against him. And you saw a player with all the arm talent in the world rely solely on that arm. And I think what really came together this year was the deep ball. And a big part of that was that sequencing, was the timing of the release with his lower body. And I think those are still areas that he can continue to take steps in. And for me, it just comes down to consistency. As week to week, what we saw from Josh is, you know, I think if you if you were to get a graph to kind of go up and down, it, it looked a lot like a, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a good comparison. It just had a lot of ebbs and flows, a lot of peaks and valleys. And I think if we can even bring the peaks down a little bit, if we could sacrifice the Dolphins game where, you know, he throws for five touchdowns. We could sacrifice a performance like that every once in a while to bring up the floor to a more consistent level. I think that's the area where, you know, maybe we don't see a game like the New York Jets where the Bills can't score a touchdown and their their, their efficiency in the red zone, um, you know, isn't quite there. And they only score 18 points against, I think, a pretty bad Jets team or, um, you know, less of what we've seen, what we saw a lot of in the second half of this, um, in the second half of games in the first half of the season, where I thought Brian Dable and Josh Allen really collaborated well together in the second half of the season, that the third and fourth quarter woes that everyone talked about that this offense kept falling into, I thought they really curbed that. I thought that they they found solutions to that. So for me, I, I think what the Bills are going to have to do is look at what the Kansas City Chiefs did to them on film. And I think it's, I don't want to say it's as simple as, maybe don't have your offensive line just get absolutely whipped. Um, and maybe that can be a, 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 a something they can bring to the table next year in, in a matchup against Kansas City. But I think, you know, there, I, I don't want to say that Kansas City put like a blueprint or, or something, a, 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 a way to beat Josh Allen and this offense together because I don't think a lot of teams are going to beat the Bills doing what the Kansas City Chiefs did. But that 4-1-6 and the looks that that Chiefs defense gave and, and, and what they were able to do in terms of chess – that to me is the one area where I look at the advantage of having Brian Dable come back is watching that Kansas City Chiefs game and watching how Steve Spagnola really from a scheme and from a, frankly, and Joe, I don't know if you agree with me, it felt like Steve Spagnola was sort of one step ahead of the Bills where they almost they could almost know and read what the changes, those check with me's, what the check with me play was. They sort of read it. They prepared for it, and they had something to go against it. And when the Bills and Josh Allen get to the line of scrimmage and realize that that check with me play that they just checked into doesn't work, well, now you don't have enough time left in the play clock to get into a play that does. And the Bills were forced in a lot of times um, in that game in the AFC Championship game 
to run plays that simply weren't good against the looks that they were given. And and I think that was a big, big uh, turning point in that game was the chess match that went on between Steve Spagnola and and Brian Dable. And frankly, it, it was tilted heavily towards Spagnola. So I, I suspect the ceiling for Allen is going to increase with the time on task that he has with Brian Dable. And, and that's my favorite term, time on task. It's something that Peyton Manning has championed over the course of his career. The more opportunities, the more reps you get with the weapons and the coaching and, um, you know, it just plays at the line of scrimmage. And I think the better you'll be. Josh has taken steps cerebrally between the ears. And I think he continued taking steps there to sort of raise that ceiling up a little bit more. Yeah, the NFL season and college football season are now both behind us, but there's still plenty of sports to bet on. The NBA season is in full swing and the NHL season is here. There's only one place that has you covered and one place that we trust, and that's betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus. Maybe you enjoy the NBA or you want to put uh, some cash down on the Sabres or another hockey team. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action and don't forget to use that promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So a problem that doesn't exist that we thought would is that Brian Dable's back. He's going to be back as the Bills' yeah. offensive coordinator. And so what would your level of concern be if Dable wasn't back? Does Josh Allen play enough above X's and O's for you to have comfort in his performance last year? Because, Nate, I listened to you talk there, and it felt like a lot of your encouragement for Josh Allen next year was, oh, well, they can further expand that relationship. There's more comfort. Yeah. They can build in more options, and uh, they'll be better suited for that. So, I, I mean, not that it's a real concern because Dable's back, but where would you have fallen on this if Dable was the head coach of the Chargers in 2021? I think it's a good question. I, I I don't know if I would look at it as a negative. And the reason or 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 think that Josh wouldn't be able to overcome that. And I don't necessarily think fresh eyes in an offense is a bad thing. Um and, and having said that, you know, I mean they bring back their entire offensive coaching staff. That means Ken Dorsey, that means Chad Hall. These guys and Ken Dorsey was being talked about as another offensive coordinator positions across the league. So the fact that he's got continuity throughout the room. I think means that they're going to continue to build and phase out the what uh, Eric Turner and I from cover one, what we have always really enjoyed about breaking down the film is watching the layers that, that Brian Dable brings to a play where, you know, he brings a play in a formation and in that same formation and in that same look, you know, Brian Dable can sort of pivot to five to seven different types of plays and schemes and techniques within one look and with one formation and one personnel grouping. And, and I think as you continue to build on that you and you become more diverse um, as an offense and the looks that you can give um, and the personnel groupings that you can create, I, I think that becomes an advantage for you. And I think although part of what I actually believe was the, ultimately the, de the defense's problem this year. And I know um, our buddy John Ledger agrees with this because I heard him say it and I felt like, man, I'm, I'm glad somebody else saw this is having the same coaching staff year in and year out, I think is viewed from a, is viewed well. That's a, it's a good thing. You want that continuity, but do you want things to get stale? I think at times last year, the Bills defense in the scheme itself got a little redundant, got a little stale, got a little predictable. And I think you always have to caution yourself 
to not become predictable just because you are comfortable with what you're doing. You have to be willing, if you're Brian Dable and Josh Allen, to get uncomfortable, to add phases of this offense that maybe they weren't ready to do last year and running game, which I know we're going to talk about, is one of them. So do I believe Josh Allen would have had success if Anthony Lynn, um, if you know, I don't know, name, name another, you know, offensive coordinator candidate. I think so. I, I, I don't think that there's that much. And, and your point about what he does off schedule and off script, that that's important to me. Um, but I think from upstairs, the perspective of having Brian Dable back again, that comfortability level that they have together, I think it's a huge advantage for them in layering additional um, just phases to this offense that I think is very versatile um, and still has room to grow. You said something there that has provoked a new thought in my head, and I, and I think I like this, and so I want to bounce this off of you. And I, Again, I recognize I haven't had a whole lot of time to flesh this out because it just hit me. When you started talking about the variations and options that are built in from similar looks within Brian Dable's offense, I mean, that's the Earhart Perkins. That's, that's the right. beauty that's of right. that type of system. And so maybe there's something that we need to be more mindful of in that for this system to fully unleash itself, it does require a good amount of time. And you think about Brian Dable, while I've always loved him conceptually and what he likes to do scheme-wise, he hasn't had a lot of great success as an offensive coordinator until last year. He also hasn't had a lot of long runs where he could really work together with yeah. a nucleus and a quarterback to really flesh things out and unleash the full breadth of his offensive scheme. So for, for two points come to mind here, number one, I guess I'm a little unsurprised that I consider that, that in year three, they seem to have kind of peaked together, and that should give us a lot of encouragement for year four. But also, if a different offensive system were to come into place that isn't quite as complicated, right? This wasn't, this is, this is not a, 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 a quarterback friendly scheme. Can we be honest? Can we agree with that? EP right. is not a quarterback friendly system. And that was part of my concern when the Bills drafted Josh Allen to go with Brian Dable because I'm like, oh man, I got a raw processor out of Wyoming and now he's got to yeah. run EP. Can I get some or Air Coriel? Can I get some West Coast here? Uh, and that wasn't the case. So that also gives me a little bit more confidence in whoever the Bills bring in if, if Dable ever leaves. At best, it'd be EP simplifying the system. Or, or, At best. Or, exactly. So right. I just became more encouraged in either way, whether it's Dable or a new EP guy or a new scheme altogether that Josh Allen's going to be fine. Yeah. And I think too, you know, you look at Josh Allen, you look at his skill set. I, I don't see a system. I, I do. Do I think the West coast um, is a system that is going to utilize Josh Allen's no. strengths? No. Um, but could he run it? I think he could. I think he sure. could probably run it pretty damn well. I think his timing and anticipation that those things have grown his footwork, which we know in a West coast system is everything um, has grown so exponentially. I think that, you know, whoever ultimately came in here and maybe that maybe we're talking about uh, something that's in a West Hey, right, Joe? I mean, we might be talking about a system that this next year, maybe we see this offense take an additional step. And if this offense takes an additional step this upcoming season in 2021, Brian Dable is going to be a head coach somewhere. Um, and, and, I, and I wonder, you know, and, and to this point, I think it's a great point, Joe, because, you know, you, you go into these systems that, that require less processing and it is a little bit more coach friendly and quarterback friendly. I suspect that Josh, that plays right into Josh's strengths and into his hands. So I think, you know, he's benefited from playing in one of the more complex layered systems in the NFL. And, and I think because of that preparation, he's ready to take on a new challenge. If an offensive coordinator that, that isn't Brian Dable and, and really kind of um, indoctrinated into that air Perkins system, I, I think he'll be fine. 
Let's talk about the Bills' rushing attack. Not very effective this year, as we all know. Mm -mm. What do you make of those struggles, Nate, and how would you go about fixing them? And then specifically, I'd like to hear how you would you would attribute the percentage of blame if you break it down to running back talent, the scheme, and the blocking. I think that's a fair um, – and I think that's probably the right question to ask because I, I think that everyone wears a little blame in this. I, I don't, I, the, the, the percentage drop-off, I think a lot of this falls on Brian Dable. Um, and, and, and I know that, you know, I've been a big, uh, big fan of Dable and I've praised Dable and I've been a defender of Dable. Um, but I would say that if we're talking about a majority of the blame, I think it's pretty equal between Brian Dable and the offensive line. And, and I think part of what the struggles with the offensive line were, was that Brian Dable was not, um, I, like pin and pull. That is a that is a run technique that we've seen um, that we've seen you know Morse run with relative uh, competence and and look good doing it um, and they kind of moved away for it and and on first down I mean the majority of outside zones that we saw run on first down this was a team that did not have a high success mark um, on first down running the football it's why they threw it so much and frankly. I almost think them not running well on first down really probably created all the efficiency and all the great things they did on first down throwing the football. So maybe we don't have this high-powered passing machine if we have a more efficient and competent running game. So I think there's a little bit of give and take here, but I think a lot of this goes on the scheme, uh, the play calling, and the offensive line's ability to get out, get physical, um, and frankly, create push off the line of scrimmage. I think part of why this offensive line, and I talked to Eric Wood about this at length, he always talked about how offensive line, especially in the NFL, they hate pass block. And when you're a team that's running, you know, uh, if you're a, a team like in Arizona, right, where your offensive linemen are often left on islands in shotgun with a quarterback that moves around a lot, that puts a lot of stress, a lot of wear and tear on the offensive line where, you know, a traditionally an offensive lineman, they want to be physical. They want to initiate contact, not sort of catch the contact like you do in pass pro. However, this offensive line from a technique perspective played much better when they were catching instead of trying to initiate that contact. And whether that's just a lack of technique, whether that's a lack of um, ability, I think both of them are probably uh, at fault in that. So do I think they've got the right pieces up front? I, I, I think that's a question, you know, to, to maybe really look into this offseason. And, that, and then that leaves the running backs is, is where, do they, where do they sort of cast the blame? And, and you know, I know Eric Turner has done a lot of good work on this and, and trying to determine, you know, just how good, just how um, well these two running backs, although the numbers maybe didn't bear it out, but how much they actually did have success considering they were seeing a ton of contact early in, their, in, 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 in the process, meaning, you know, they get the ball and they're immediately forced to either break a tackle um, or make a move in the backfield to just get positive yards. So I think... I think it starts with the scheme. Then I think it turns into, okay, do you have the right players on the offensive line for this scheme? And then three, you know, do you have enough variation? I think you have a lot of the same type of skill set in the backfield. I'd really like to see this team add a piece that can break the top off the defense from the backfield, a guy that can catch a screen pass and outrun defenders. They don't have that. I think their screen game needs to develop. I think if you can develop a more potent screen game, I think it's going to affect and have a trickle-down effect to the run game. And I think if you have a good and more efficient run game, it's going to trickle down to, to better passing looks for Josh Allen. So I think this is three-pronged, but I think a lot of this has to do with scheme and offensive line play. And unfortunately, Joe, they just don't have 
the cap space or the capital to really make impactful changes across the offensive line in free agency. That means you're going to need to make the proper moves in free agency to shore up some of the other places, because I think offensive line in this draft can, you can find, I don't know about impact players, but I think you can find starting caliber interior offensive line talent in the mid to late first round. And even in the mid rounds of this draft. And for me, that doesn't bode well for a guy like John Feliciano. Right when I was trying to sort out my own personal thoughts on the Bills' rushing attack, Eric Turner, on my timeline, dropped this nugget. The Bills ran versus a six-man box or less the fourth most times in the NFL this season, including the playoffs, 203 attempts. They ranked 18th in yards per attempt. Nate, you know as well as I do, running the football is often a math problem. That's right. How many blockers you have, how many people are in the box. We can be upset about less, you know, pin and pull. Maybe we want Isaiah McKenzie more on the jet sweeps to, to help. But they had favorable run looks, Nate. They, they these they should have had very successful rushing output, but they didn't. And I think that's where my disappointment goes to, you know, less on the scheme because my gosh, you shouldn't really have to do anything extra when you can have those favorable numbers. But it puts my attention back on the running backs and on the offensive line because these were great looks to run the football. Absolutely. And, you know, I, again, I think we all agree no one's looking for volume. No one's looking for additional volume. If they ran, if their run pass, you know, ratio remained the same going into 2021, but they became more efficient, I think they could be a significantly better offense. And your point there is really the thing that speaks to me because I think for me, what do you blame for that? And, and, and I think you can blame a lot of the offensive line losing a lot of those one-on-one battles. I don't think there was a ton of continuity early on in the season. If, if their plan is they're going to run it with Cody Ford, I've got major reservations about that. Whether he's playing tackler or guard, he has been a, a pretty significant miss for me um, by this organization and by Brandon Bean. He has not been the player. Um, even when I had been sort of ringing the bell to get him inside in the interior part of the line. He has not impressed me um, in his reps. And maybe a lot of that's due to injury. But, I, you know, I, my question is, do they have the personnel and can they acquire the personnel to become more efficient in those looks? And if you're going to run outside zone, I don't think Devin Singletary and Zach Moss are the guys that you do that with. They just do not have the foot speed to really to threat the edge. They just don't have a guy that if Fred Warner's on the other side is worried about reaching the edge to make a play. Um, so even if, even if you do make the necessary changes across the offensive line and you can create better one-on-one matchups across the offensive line, I don't know if it's going to matter if your plan is you're going to run it back with a lot of outside zone. Cause I just don't think either of those running backs fit into a, a into a, a scheme like that. I think traps, Inside ISO, um, you know, maybe you can get some outside stuff played in there, but they need to play within the tackle box um, with this running back group. And that is what has led me to think a guy like Travis Etienne, Najee Harris, some of these big name running backs. I know we're talking about not running with more ve- with more volume, but if you want to become more multiple in the ways you're going to run the football, you are very limited with the personnel you currently have in the backfield. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. When you run outside zone with Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, if I'm a linebacker, slow play, slow play, slow yep. play, wait for them to commit, and I'm going to fail else that very does. easily. Guess what else that does, Joe? It hurts their ability to have effective play action looks on outside zone plays because you can slow play them, and if you're slow playing play action, you're sort of playing right into the hands of the defense. Yeah. I, hey, I might have a career at linebacker if I can go up against that. <laughs> uh, no, not at, I'm, I'm going to be 35 this year, brother. No, no linebacker for me. 
Need to tell you guys about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the planet. They have 18 amazing flavors, including some of my favorites, which are cherry, caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake. I love the cookies and cream. They're all delicious, and they're all covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. It's like eating a candy bar, but they're good for you. Built Bar is great for anyone who is health conscious. Whether you want to lose weight, maintain weight, or just indulge in a delicious treat, you got to try Built Bars. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and great for anyone on the keto diet. Got a deal for you. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Uh, Brandon Bean, I think he put the tight end position on blast. If you sure listen did. to his year-end press conference, he went out and said, I wish we had a Travis Kelsey. Dawson Knox was inconsistent. And that uh, I don't think that this group was ever to the point where defenses were concerned about them going off. Yeah. And Brandon Bean's not wrong. The Bills were 30th in the NFL in tight end receptions, 29th in yards. So, Nate, do you believe in Dawson Knox, or does this need – does this group need reinforcements? And uh, when you think about Bean's comments, are you expecting him to make a move here? I am. I'm expecting him to make a move. Here's the thing. I actually like Dawson Knox a lot. I just don't like him as a tight end one. I like him as um, I like him as a role player. I think where he really creates mismatches is when he has outbreaking routes towards the sideline, when he has vertical set routes where he's lined up as a wide receiver or in the slot. And this team, I don't have the numbers, and I don't know if the numbers are even available, but this team attacked the middle of the field with tight ends less than any team in the NFL. And, and I'm willing to go on record and say that without the numbers to back it up. They just did not have a presence over the middle of the field that you could throw have and, and have trust that he was going to go up and get the football. Um, and, and for me, this is the draft. This is the draft that you absolutely have to look at the tight end position from the top all the way to the fifth, sixth, and seventh guys in this draft. Tight end is something I'm really looking at. I think there's a lot of different types of athletes at the tight end position in this draft. I know Zach Ertz is available. He would really speak to me if you could get him at the right price, but they need a player over the middle of the field that can command attention from free safeties so that we can create some and move some of the attention off the wide receivers. This team uses and utilizes their wide receivers more than any team in football. And I expect that to continue, but for, in order for them to continue utilizing the wide receivers as efficiently as they have in order for teams to stop queuing on Cole Beasley, because one of the things I noticed, this was against Kansas city, but more so against Baltimore it said a lot to me that Baltimore put their best man press co uh, cover corner on Cole Beasley and not Stephon Diggs in that Baltimore Ravens divisional game. That spoke to me. What that said to me is a really good defensive play caller determined the key to stopping the Bills is we'll let you have Stephon Diggs and we'll give you his 10 catches and we'll get you his big plays, but I am not going to give you easy three, four, five yards a chunk. We're not going to create this extension of the run game that you have with Cole Beasley. And you can cover up Joe, a lot of your inefficiencies in the run game. If you have a good short passing game that can act as that extension of your run and towards the end of the season with the injury and teams, Chris Harris and, and is one of the best slot cover corners in the league. And Marlon Humphrey, one of the best cover corners in the league, both shut Beasley down. And it's not 
coincidence to me that the offense struggled in both those games. That's going to be something that teams cue on moving forward. Shut down Cole Beasley, especially on first and third down, and you make it that much harder for Josh because Josh knows he wants to throw the ball on third down to Beasley. He knows where if he doesn't have a guy open or if it's two, three, four seconds, get it down to Beasley, let him catch the ball, turn around and fall on the ground, get four or five yards in a cloud of dust. And for me, you have to be a little bit more multiple and your tight ends have to demand and create attention over the middle of the field. And I think if they do that, I think they'll find more efficiency and better options and better coverage against their wide receivers. So I think that there is a way that you can, I think creating a two tight end package makes a lot of sense. And Brian Dable did a lot of that in Josh Allen's rookie year when you had Logan Thomas and you had Charles Clay and you had some athletes at the tight end position. And I think they've really taken steps back at that position, even from Josh Allen's rookie year. And I know that's crazy to think considering how much better the offense is, but I think the tight end room is worse. I really like what you said there about, you know, the, these really outstanding defensive coordinators keying on keying in on Beasley as one of their, you know, the principles of their game plan. And I think about the Kansas city game as well. I think there is something to inviting Josh Allen to be aggressive because you know, he wants to be, but taking away some of that stuff that really just keeps the offense on schedule and making them overly reliant on those aggressive plays, because no matter how good Josh Allen gets at hitting aggressive throws down the field, they're still low percentage, even the best guys ever. It's a low percentage play. And so uh, maybe you unpack something there, and that's gonna that's gonna affect my line of thinking here, Nate. That's a good take you had there. So let's talk more about this Bills wide receiver core. It was uh, exceptional. It was elite. It had the most production of any receiver core in the NFL last year, by far the most catches and by far the most yards. They were 433 yards more than the number two team. So when you're looking for the tight end production or the running back receiving production, it's right there. It's right there in that in that difference between one and two uh, in the you know the receiving output from wide receivers. We know Diggs is elite. Beasley has commanded targets. He's been productive. Gabriel Davis had a strong rookie season. So my questions for you are, number one, where do you stand on John Brown? Obviously, the Bills can clear up about $7 million uh, in cap space by cutting him. Do you think Gabriel Davis can be wide receiver two in 2021? And then just your overall thoughts on this position group heading into the offseason. I think it's arguably one of the most consequential questions that Brandon Bean's going to have to ask himself this offseason is what to do with John Brown. Because I think, you know, I think there's a world where restructuring John Brown, adding an additional year to his deal makes a lot of sense to me. Um, don't move out a guy that has met, I think, a lot to Josh Allen and, and still continues to be their one real straight line, go down the field and catch a football guy. And that is not a knock against Gabriel Davis. I just think they win in very different ways. They're very different type receivers. Having said that, I think Gabriel Davis, if your decision ultimately comes down to, to, to in order to create the most cap room, um, we believe in Gabriel Davis and, and we're going to move on from John Brown this offseason. I absolutely believe Gabriel Davis is capable of stepping into that wide receiver two role. I guess my question becomes then sort of who slots into the wide receiver four role, because we know how important the wide receiver four and five played for this bill's offense in 2020. And I, and I've said this multiple times, find me a quarterback that had a better rapport, a better relationship, a, just looking like they're on the same page than, than Josh Allen and his fifth and sixth receivers at times. Like, 
Josh and Isaiah McKenzie had a better rapport than, than Tua Tonga Viola did with any of his receivers. And that's your number five receiver, Joe. That's not a guy that's playing 80, 90% of your snaps. Um, so I think for him to have that type of relationship and rapport with guys from the top of the roster to the bottom of the roster in the wide receiver room, I think it says a lot to me that if you can find a guy to replace Gabriel Davis's production, I believe Gabriel Davis can replace John Brown's production. My concern is, is there of someone available that can replace his production? Because seven touchdowns, 400 and 500 and some yards. Like, I think, I think if you're asking me straight up, can, can Gabriel Davis take the place of John Brown? I think my answer is a resounding yes. My concern is, who is going to take the place of Gabriel Davis if he's slotting up into the wide receiver too? And I think that's a question that isn't being asked enough. Well, maybe that's Isaiah Hodgins. My concern about yeah. Davis as the wide receiver too is that I think I don't think he's a very complete receiver. And maybe that's a hot take to you. I think he's I he think benefited so. from the scheme. I mean, I think his average yards before target was like 13 and a half yards down the field. I mean, this was a guy that Josh Allen on those backyard plays had a lot of comfort throwing the ball to Davis, who gives you size and ball skills down the field. But do I trust uh, Gabriel Davis to beat press coverage and uncover quickly yeah. on a you know on a quick you know dig or, or slant route or something like that? I, I don't know that he's that type of player, and I don't think he's a very good yak guy. So I don't want to sound like I'm down on Davis. I think he had a great rookie year, but I think the type of role that he had was, was kind of tailor made for what he can do. And yeah. if all of a sudden he's my, you know, he's my John Brown replacement, I feel like I'm making some concessions with what I can ask that player to do. I know Davis can line up everywhere, right? But you know, there's a difference between stylistically what Brown brings to the table and what Davis brings to the table. And I know the offense was pretty good this year without really getting much from John Brown, but I get nervous when you think about a 16 game stretch yeah. and trying to make deep postseason runs without that really complete wide receiver two in a wide receiver centric offense. I think that's why the name John Ross becomes such a compelling name for me because I I I I totally get what you're saying too and and the types of way and really it's just the ways that you're talking about John Brown winning at the line of scrimmage and we know with RPO and some of those quick slant routes that this offense likes to utilize especially inside the red zone um yeah, you know, I I don't I wouldn't want to lose the skill set of John Brown. So is there a player out there that you believe has been underutilized that hasn't really had the career um that that you can go out and get on a veteran minimum? I, that really might be a guy like John Ross who has the straight line speed that John Brown has and possesses. Does he have the same level of of nuance as a route runner? Absolutely not. But I think if you're trying to replace a guy like John Brown with two young players, John Ross or a player like him. And there's guys in this draft that, that could replace that, that, that name of, of Ross as well. But I like to me, straight line speed. And I know sale disagreed with me a little bit on this. Isn't necessarily something that he finds a ton of value in. And he believes the team won't find a ton of value in. But I think if you're losing one thing from John Brown, it's the ability to beat a guy at the line of scrimmage with, with, with skill, with route running, um, with just general foot speed. And that is not Gabriel Davis, to your point. So can you replace that? If you were to swap positions and say, Gabriel Davis is your number two, but we have a John Brown type as your number four, I just don't think you can go into the season with Isaiah Hodgins thinking that he's going to, I don't know, I, I just the role of John Brown is going to need to be replaced. And Gabriel Davis, although he can have the ability to slot into wide receiver two, he is not taking over the role for John, for John Brown. So I think that's a really interesting thing on how this team builds the wide receiver group. And that's why I wouldn't rule out a restructure. Yeah. I think that's a 
have your cake and eat it too. And mm-hmm. hey, I, I see your John Ross. I'll raise you a Kenny Stills. Yes. So, yes. so maybe that was the guy. Maybe That's they got right. there to look at him and uh, he can, can make an impact. I don't know what he's going to command. It's kind of difficult to an, ask, answer that question because I mean, he was on the Bills practice squad, right? That was he's his had, He's had a sort of a weird last three seasons yeah. from being a guy early on in his career in New Orleans, then in Miami for his first season or two. And, and he is really... But maybe again, maybe this is maybe we're talking about a very similar player like John Ross, where you would just have a player with a lot of talent who hasn't found the right situation. And I know the last couple of years, Kenny Stills has been buried in depth charts with receivers mm-hmm. that have been over him. So mm-hmm. you know, and then he goes to, to to Houston, and he's got four or five guys all ahead of him that are all have earned their right to be ahead of him. So I, I, I like that idea, and and I do wonder they had him in here a few weeks. I think I wonder. I I think that move, Joe, had a lot more to do with a tryout for next season than it did like in insurance for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if they like what they saw, I think that could absolutely, Kenny still stepping into a John Brown role. I wouldn't be against that. So despite an ineffective running game, bottom tier production from tight ends, John Brown played less than half the snaps, caught 33 passes. The Bills finished second in the NFL in offense, you know, yards and scoring 501 points, the best offense the Buffalo Bills have ever put on the field. You think this is sustainable for 2021 or are you expecting some drop off? I think it's sustainable. Um, I think it's the style of play. Um, I think the head coach is bought in and I think the head coach in Sean McDermott, I, I think after that game and after he watches some of the decisions to kick field goals, I think that game, the AFC championship game is going to inspire Sean McDermott to become even more aggressive and, and, and really decide that he's going to lean into it and, and learn from his mistakes. And if they become a more aggressive team, if they become efficient, a little bit more efficient on first down, and they can create a lot of second and short situations and they can add a little more efficiency to the run game. That's the thing here. I think it's pretty easy to say that this is going to be one of the top tier passing teams from here on out. The question I have, Joe, is if they can add efficiency to the run game, how much better does that make their pass game? How much more efficient does that make their pass game? So do I believe it's sustainable? Yes. Am I expecting drop-off? No. Does that mean I think they'll be better? Can they be better? I think they can. I wouldn't bet that they'd be better. I'd bet that maybe they're more efficient. And if they're more efficient, I think they will be better and, and a little bit more um, explosive as a team. So do I expect them to be the same team, maybe a little bit better next year? I do. I think they've got the guys. I think they've got the coaching. I think they got the pieces to uh, to do all of that and be better in this upcoming season. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to the offense because I think there's a lot of places that Brian Dable can, can grow from scheme-wise. Um, and giving him the opportunity for another offseason with Josh Allen, and I think maybe, fingers crossed, a more normal offseason, um, I, I wonder what that looks like. So um, I, I'm expecting big things from this offense, and I expect them to take a step forward um, in this upcoming season. It's For me, my confidence in the offense at least being as good, if not better, next year stems from that I think the fruit hangs awfully low when you figure out how they can get better, whether it's some schematic Joe, they play the hard schedule, yeah. a yeah. difficult schedule. Now, I'm not saying it gets easier next year, right. but – the defenses they played, the pass rushers they played in concession, like this was, and not only that, but some of the play callers. And I'm sorry, but you know the Miami Dolphins were the number one scoring defense until Week 17, when the Bills absolutely they played really good defenses. They played good defensive play callers. They played some top end offensive talent. I think what I'm looking for is 
when the bills start seeing teams come in and want to run track meets with them, that they op- that they sort of uh, they they sort of accept that with open arms. I want to see this team get into some more track meets. I want to see this team, even though they had the struggles they had defensively this year, say I don't care. I don't want to see them add. Uh, uh, Xavier Rhodes. I don't want to see them mm-hmm. go out and spend money on more defensive linemen. I want to keep scoring points. Yep. And, you know, I know that Kansas City's defense is damn good, and that's part of the reason that they beat up on the Bills. But be better offensively than they are. Be as good as they are offensively. I know that that might be controversial, and I know people may not love that thought because I know that a lot of people were very – we're very emotional about why this Bills defense was bad. And, and let's be frank and let's be honest with each other. They were bad at times. Um, and they were also pretty good at times. But I don't care about their defense anymore. I have moved on. Defense, the defensive mindset are, are for fans and for, and for media members of teams who have nothing to talk about at the quarterback position. We don't. We have, we have a lot to talk about at the quarterback position, about the quarterback being better. So – I don't care about the defense. Continue building the offense. Keep adding weapons. Do what the Chiefs do. Draft a running back. Draft Nicole Hardman. Draft these guys. You have three or four receivers. Keep drafting them. So that's that's going to be my philosophy moving forward is keep building the offense. Well, and you know, I think defensively you can really try to focus in on two things, negative plays and turnovers. Yeah. But yeah, it does become offensive centric in my mind as well. And you know, you look at the tight end production, that should be better next year. The run game I mean, it doesn't take a lot for that to get better next year. So I am optimistic that um, this is the new normal when it comes to the Bills offense for the, you know, the at least the foreseeable future. So, Nate, I really love talking football with you, man. This is always a good time. And um, I enjoy it, man. It's fun. You know, I um, one of these days I told um, uh, Eric Wood and I need to get back together because we talked. We uh, uh, it, This would have been probably before the divisional game. We had some talks about offensive line that I would love to bring on this pro- on this program. Um, and so I, I, me, you and E would need to link up and uh, and get and, and put some content out there because I think that would be uh, that would be a heck of a show. I think I think he'd do it. I've had some really good conversations with uh, with Wood as well. Uh, and I, I he, we've talked we've talked off, you know, privately about some stuff so i bet you he'd do it i don't want to get I like too, hard, too far ahead of ourselves but that could I be, think he uh, would. be a good conversation so what is uh what's off season nate what, what's the plan what do we got going on so uh i've got lots of notes that i need to turn from notes into an article that i'm doing where i kind of put my brandon bean pants on um and uh i'm talking about what moves what cuts what restructures um what draft capital um joe uh just i want to be i want to be very clear on my stance on this upcoming off season if the Bills pick at 30, I will be very disappointed. And the reason I say that is I think a trade back to acquire second and third round picks makes a lot of sense. I'm, I, think, I think it might have been you that even mentioned this, but I'm upset that Leslie Frazier didn't get the head coaching job in Houston. I would have loved the additional third round pick, the compensatory pick. This team needs mid-level draft picks to fill out the rest of their roster um, and continue building something special here. So either get another Stefan Diggs trade where you trade your first round pick for a legitimate proven NFL veteran talent. Um, but that, that's going to be part of my series. And uh, you can expect that up here in the next couple of days and weeks ahead um, up at WGR550.com. My normal sports talk Saturday schedule. Um, got another great show scheduled for tomorrow. And I'm sure I'll have you on over the next couple of weeks as well. So uh, yeah, and find me, of course, on Twitter, which is where I do most of my debauchery over at Nate Erie Sports on Twitter. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to some good conversations this offseason as we talk about a, a team that is really good. You know, it's it's a different, it's yeah, a man. really big shift, I think, in 
the types of conversations we're having. It's no longer about how to beat the Patriots or, you know, how can they um, get to the playoffs? It's about how do you go to the Super Bowl? And I like that. That's going to be a lot of fun. So, Nate, always appreciate uh, a good conversation with you here on the podcast, and we'll definitely do it again in the near future. As for the listeners, thank you so much for being here. I hope you enjoyed this conversation between Nate and myself. Have, a, have another good conversation for you tomorrow with my buddy, Benjamin Solak. We're going to talk about Carson Wentz, Josh Allen, and if there's a cautionary tale to be mindful of, given what's happened with Wentz in Philadelphia and their decision to pay him uh, when they did, and if there's uh, things that we need to be mindful of as the Bills have a big decision to make when it comes to paying Josh Allen this offseason. So don't miss that. Make sure you're subscribed, rate, review, and share the podcast. And I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.